feels like Pakistan and sort of you know the idea of having Joss play here is is quite a big thing at least for for a certain number of cricket fans. So I think it would be great if he. Uh, came out to bat uh, in the final final game with the series on the line. Um, and it would probably be even better if one of Pakistan's 140-plus guys cleaned him up first ball. Cool. <laughs> A brief stay for Joss Butler at the crease today. <laughs> <laughs> Two anchors stamped their authority with the bat and announced a return to form. Stumps were uprooted, batters applauded, high totals were chased, and final over thrillers had us on the edge of our seats. You could be forgiven if you think we're talking about Virat Kohli, KL Rahul, and Bumrah. But uh, no, today this uh, podcast is all about England and Pakistan. Welcome to ESPN Cricket for Stamp Mike. I'm Kaustub and uh, today we are going to discuss the ongoing series between England and Pakistan. We are coming to you at the end of the Karachi leg, just before the Lahore leg is about to start. What does it all mean? Does it even mean anything? We're about to find out. So joining me from Lahore, fresh off his now his first visit to Pakistan. Uh, it's uh, Matt Roller. Matt, uh, how is the Rudu coming along? <laughs> Not too well, I don't think. I've only picked up a few curse words so far, but um, yeah, very well, thanks. Um, enjoying the series so far. I think it's been good fun, and yeah, looking forward to seeing what Lahore has in store in the last three games. Joining us from London is uh, the man for whom the lines have blurred between home and away for the current series. Osman, has it been fun to watch the series in London so far? <laughs> it, it's, it's been surprisingly fun, actually, because it's been a good series. There's been stuff happening... You know, who would have thought that a seven-match T20 series would, would would be this much kind of entertainment? So four matches in, I think we're pretty good. Uh, just a word on Matt's Urdu. I think he, he's been on another podcast where he's actually, like, offended maybe all of Pakistan with a swear word. <laughs> he's called out for using a swear word. So I'm hoping we don't get to that point in this in this podcast. But um, He described Mark Wood with a very famous cliché. So I think it's coming along all right. <laughs> Yeah. Acha cha, cha. All right. So uh, finally, also from Lahore, he described uh, Harris Ruff's sheer speed as primal, and uh, he has stopped me from using the cliched Pakistan bowling moniker with rhymes with space. It's uh, Daniel uh, Rasul. How is it going, Daniel? What's it like? It's it's okay. Like Usman said, it's it's been a fun series. Maybe slightly more fun than expected, but I did enjoy that you called. Uh, Space is space, yeah, just a cliche, which I don't know how Smart feels about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's nothing to do with me, everything to do with Shoaib Akhtar, who is, in fact, the, the creator of that phrase. I would say this series is historic, right, in a way. I think this is the first time England have come to Pakistan since, what, 2005? Uh, and uh, everyone knows the... Uh, comparisons, right? Like in 2005, there was no Twitter, there was no iPhone, uh, Tenrikar was still playing, Inzimam was still playing, uh, T20 was like nobody even bothered about it, like a bunch of county games were played for, for, for T20 cricket, right? And now you have, you have this classic seven match series in 2008-9 between India and Pakistan, right? Like those huge long ODI series and now we're playing a T20I series like that. I wanted to come to you, Osman. Like, well, how big a deal is this series? Like, this in the grand scheme of cricket in Pakistan. Although I think it's been a big deal, and probably Matt will will speak more to that about you know stuff that's been happening there. But I, like, I feel like if it wasn't, it, if it didn't feel like a series squeezed in in the run up as preparation to the World T Twenty, it may have been kind of bigger. And I suspect that when the Test series happens in December, that will be you know it'll almost feel like this whole thing happening all over again. 
and they'll all, they'll you know there'll be a lot of these like the, the English in Pakistan kind of pieces coming out then as well I think because you know that will be a longer series they'll maybe have more of an opportunity to kind of branch out away from just the cricket far be it from the Australians to beat anyone when it comes to like traveling around the world but somehow they've managed to beat Eng England to come into Pakistan first earlier this year and I think that kind of broke the ice a little bit for for a lot of people but you know still I I think it, it is it is a big deal um but I, I suspect it will feel bigger when the tests happen in December. That might just be me being an old man, though. And, and I will defer to Matt on this one. <laughs> You're dismissing white ball, basically. Like, straight out. <laughs> Pajama cricket. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, I agree with Oz that, that there will certainly be a, a sort of second wave of this. And this tour does, a, in, a, in a certain way, feel a little bit like the sort of soft launch almost for the test series in December. Um, just because of all those factors that Oz has spoken about. Um, but then again, I think, you know, whenever you're watching an international game, high two high quality teams and sold out crowd are really into it. it. You know, it's easy to be sort of churlish about that. But I think for a country that's not had sold out crowds for that long and, you know, when they have when crowds have been back and international cricket has been back in Pakistan, crowds have often been capped by COVID um, across the past couple of years. It has felt like a real big deal. I think especially the, the climax of... Uh, the Sunday night game in, in Karachi, you know, the crowd were so involved in it and it felt like a real spectacle, despite the fact, you know, game four out of seven in the T20 series. I think that was the one where we were rocking up thinking this could this could be a bit of a drag, whereas actually, you know, you have Harris Ralph bowling reverse swing at 155 Ks in the 19th over or whatever it was. And, you know, I think it's pretty hard to sort of be too dismissive about that. Um, just in terms of what you're saying about 2005, actually, a couple of days before England left, um, Owen Morgan had a sort of testimonial dinner in London, which obviously quite a few of the squad who are here were at. Um, obviously not some of them, but the, I think, you know, about half of the touring squad were there. Um, and apparently one of the sort of topics of conversation was the fact that uh, Jimmy Anderson was there and, and was one of the handful of guys in the room that had toured Pakistan and was getting called a sort of grumpy old bastard by his teammates because I think he was man of the match in England's most recent uh, international in Pakistan before this tour in 2005. Um, it was the last game of an ODI series. He came on as a super sub, which dates it, and then took three or four wickets. Um which does show you how long ago it, it it was. But yeah, I think definitely coming back, you know, obviously some of these players, have, about half of the England squad have played here before in the PSL. So they're used to the hotels, they're used to the security, they're used to playing in front of these crowds. But it has definitely felt like a big, big occasion and a big spectacle every time England have walked out. And I think um, even though it's, you know, obviously the vast majority of fans in the crowd, I think 99.9% .9 of fans are... Um, Pakistani and supporting Pakistan um, there has also been a sort of I, th I, I feel as though the players have felt the warmth of reception that they've got and the sort of um, I think especially having cancelled that tour last year I think there was a lot of uh, tension between the, the boards in terms of their relationship but I think the people understand that it you know was not necessarily that that cancellation was not necessarily something that the players pushed for and I think people are pretty excited to um, be seeing what is despite the you know, injury-enforced absence of a few big names, it's still a, a reasonably strong England squad um, over here. So, yeah, despite the fact that, um, as you say, it, it's only T20, it's only Mickey Mouse cricket, um, it, it has felt, to me at least, like a, a spectacle in its own right and a sort of, uh, I think, a series heading into this Lahore leg that both teams will actually be pretty keen to win, um, much as they'll say it's all about World Cup preparation and, you know, performing under... 
uh, performing under pressure in the last couple of games, I think you know both teams would it would be a boost, especially for England who haven't won a uh, a white ball series at all under Matthew Mott yet, um, other than their tour to the Netherlands in in June. Um, this would be their first series win against full member opposition, so I think that would be quite a significant um, boost heading into the World Cup. There's, I just wanted to add one really nice, I guess, <laughs> makes makes people feel old. So Matt's discussing Jimmy Anderson being there on that 2005 tour. And I think one of my memories from that tour is um, a side game that they played at the Bagh Jinnah in Lahore. Um, with lovely, beautiful, picturesque ground. And, you know, very, you have a, like, you have a real hands-on feel to the, to the ground itself and stuff. And... I think the indication of how old Anderson is that Bazid Khan lap scooped him off the last ball of that side game for four over fine leg to win it. I think Pakistan won that game. It was a Pakistan A side, I think, and they won by a wicket. And and so it, you know, it, Bazid Khan now is like he was at that time like you know a, a probable into the main Pakistan side, and he's now like you know famous as a as a commentator and kind of a, a Ryan very data-led ob- observer on the game, and he was there, like, back then, and, and Anderson is still taking, what, his 1,789th test wicket or something in the last year, um, still doing it. But, yeah, it, it, it's, it's good to know that he had some kind of... He, there is somebody in this England side um, who, is, um, who, who has toured Pakistan before. At, at the risk of starting off with self-promotion, uh, Usman said Bagajan has a good ground. You can read a feature on it in the Cricket Monthly that I <laughs> wrote a few years ago. And that mentions actually the uh, game, the Bazid Khan game. But the thing with James Anderson is, I remember I was actually there for the fifth ODI, I think, which is the final game. I think there was... Were you about three years old? <laughs> nah, I was 12. So, <laughs> yeah, oh there, there's, a bit, there's a bit of cra- crowd trouble on, on, <laughs> on the balcony. I think people were taunting, I do sledging Anderson, I'm not exactly sure what they were saying, and he seemed to be taking it in in his stride, he seemed to be good-natured, he acknowledged the crowd, and then perhaps true to form, Kevin Peterson joined him, and he got the same amount of abuse, and he had a security guy come over and demand to have three fans ejected. So, <laughs> I, 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 guess, I guess 17 years on, if you were to ask me which of the two is more likely to be a bit of a prick about it, I think nothing's changed in that sense. It seems too well-natured like this time, right? Like there's a lot of uh, love. Both sides are saying, yeah, like uh, like uh, we love watching each other play. Uh, what I think Harry Brook had said that uh, I feel at, at home when I'm playing in Karachi. Because- and Harris Rauf and Mark Wood are having like a Pacers love love in as well. A Pacers. Yeah, yeah, and like one of those, uh, one of Harris Rauf's, uh, I think bouncers got lost in. It was Brooks. It was yeah. Brooks. It's Brooklyn, right? They're hugging each other. I'm just like, uh, are they too friendly? Like the crowds aren't silenced whenever an England sixes hit. Like I can hear cheering even then. Like I I, I know when I'm watch I'm watching the game. In the subcontinent, how what do you call it? partisan it can get, right? And uh, this is incredibly friendly. Everything is cheered. This I think, I think the, the spice has kind of like not been there in that rivalry for like it's not been it's certainly not been ill natured for a while. Like you know, I, I think the one off maybe the 2010 series because of what happened with the spot fixing at the end of it, it kind of be- became iffy. But I think generally on the field over the years, over the last maybe couple of decades, the the players have mostly gotten on. I think and it, to the extent that it's it's been worth mentioning every time it's happened like even now we're talking about it and i think they've actually been fine for for quite some time and england you know i think for pakistan they're important opponents in the sense that they're they're still one of the opponents that draw the crowds into pakistan and and you know it's a big money rivalry big event rivalry for pakistan so i think and and you know familiarity from playing county cricket like this season 
it seemed like county cricket was populated purely by Pakistani players at one stage. There were like nine or ten at any one stage playing. And the PSL last year, I remember Matt doing that piece, there were about 21 players who played in the PSL last season or something from England. So, you know... Yeah, and the rest. It's not surprising, but I I don't think it's taken away anything from the actual contest itself. You know, I I, I think it's, you know, if anything, it's probably added like a nice layer to just the fact that these are two, you know, good teams, both, both not their first 11s, but, you know, really kind of hunting each other down but 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 you know there's not a man card in sight and they're they're being pretty pretty civil about the whole thing i i also think to some extent um pakistan still isn't fully over the fact that international cricket was gone for a while and now it's come back so i still think that part of the nature the good natured um element to the to the series and all series when teams visit is just pakistan being grateful that uh, a touring side is visited because pakistan still have this this childlike relationship with a visiting side, you know, when you play peekaboo with the baby and then when you cover your face, the baby just thinks, you're gone, you're not coming back. And then suddenly you're back again. And that's Pakistan's relationship with every touring side, I feel, um, where when a side hasn't visited for six or seven months, they just think Pakistan cricket, once again, has been left in the lurch, no cricket is coming back. But then it hasn't been left in the lurch, it was just off-season. Um, the only, the only uh, I think, the only thing that fed into that insecurity, of course, was New Zealand and England's pullouts last year. So there's perhaps an even bigger element of fanfare to it is around the Australia series. Australia and Pakistan haven't always got along, but that was a famously good-natured series, I think, because Pakistan were happy to have a high-profile side here. And then the same with England. I mean, uh, you still see, I think, Mark was in Karachi. He'll have seen people holding up banners saying, thank you, England, for coming, even in that bizarre... Um, a boundary line interview uh, with Ramiz Raja and Martin Dalo. I think Ramiz Raja publicly thanked Dalo for having England come over. So I think that you you wouldn't really get that with a side visiting India or a side visiting Sri Lanka in quite the same way. Because Pakistan still, I think, are getting to grips with the fact that they finally have something back that they've lost for more than a decade. And they, for a while at least, I think they don't want to mess that up. Um, so that is going to continue to feed into uh, Pakistan just being over-generous hosts from time to time. It will go away at some point, but for now, I think. And I think that's actually been a big theme with the security as well, is that I think, um, I think realistically, you know, we, having spoken to people, sort of uh, diplomats over here, they've said that from, from the data that is going back to the UK High Commission, they're saying, you know, cities in Pakistan, especially these two, are as safe as they've been since before that 2005 tour even. Um, but the the... Problem is, of course, that you know they, they, it's completely um, unthinkable that anything would happen on this tour. So they're taking so many precautions. Every every last um, you know every last police officer that's engaged, they have to, they feel that it has to be done. For example, just this morning, I was walking down to the baggy dinner actually, and we sort of wandered around the park and everything. And then coming back, you actually suddenly feel a lot less safe when you see all these security beefed up outside the hotel because of the fact that you know there's all these guys who are suddenly thinking, should I be anxious? Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that's probably another theme of the tour is that because of the fact that, um, they, there's this idea that you have to take every single precaution and it's completely understandable, but it has meant that, you know, England, unfortunately, I think have been very much trapped in the hotel ground, hotel ground rhythm of things rather than having the chance to sort of, you know, even wander up the road and, um, go and look at a historical ground or anything like that. Um, which has been a bit of a shame, but, you know, hopefully in, I think there's a, another test tour in 2024. Hopefully by then it, it's, um, you know, you can knock one of the Vs off the VVIP status and things will feel a bit more, bit more like real life. The one thing I can say about 
cricket tours in Pakistan is there's a level of consistency around what you can expect. So now when a visiting side, um, uh, when a side is over in Pakistan, I have a rough idea, especially in Lahore, but generally around all three cities, Lahore, Rawal, Islamabad, Rawalpindi, Karachi, of what to expect, where the roadblocks will be set up, how soon should you depart to get to the stadium, um, what sort of security checks are there in place, what protocols are in place. And I think fans have also started to become attuned to that. There's, there's, there's very little complaint around security being excessive, even though it obviously impacts on fan experiences. Fans have complained at times of being forced to sit in 40, 35, 40 degree heat for three hours before a game kicks off. But then they also there's a recognition of why they need to do that. Since the first international tour since Sri Lanka came over in 2019, Pakistan have developed essentially a modus operandi around what sort of security precautions to take. And I think they've served them well in the past and they'll continue to do this. That's where, they, that's where there was quite a lot of bewilderment last year when New Zealand called out because Pakistan said, yeah, we recognize there might be a security threat, but we think we have the protocols in place to take care of that. So as every tour goes, continues to go off without a hitch, touch word, Pakistan is going to feel um, that they have the resources and the capability to... Um, deliver these series and they should expect international sides to just trust them. And I think so far, this England tour has just been an extension of that Australia tour, which was an extension of the previous tour before that, because I don't think too much has changed in the last two years. And that's because the processes that they've been using have been working. I feel the best moment was, of all the things that happened, was uh, uh, Sakhlein Mushtaq's presser when he was uh, he, he was asked about a Pakistan defeat and uh, what what he said. Din raat, raat sardi garmi, dhup, uh, barish, ho, jeet, haar, hoti rehti hai, hoti rehti hai. <laughs> like it's like uh, it's been kind of fun. It, it's the, the in fact it, it is if you asked like Siri to define the exact opposite of a T20 coach, that would be it. That oh, it's just you know none of it's in our control. It's just all. Whereas everything is supposed to be included. But I think, and this is something that... I got, I got a hint of KL Rahul there, like, to be very fair, because that's what you always <laughs> used to say when Punjab used to lose. Like, winning and losing is not in our hands. Like, we're just, just the process. <laughs> but at least KL Rahul will say something like, but the process is important and we have to, like, work hard. Saklin is like, yeah, the sun comes out, you know, the moon goes up as well, and we win some, we lose some. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, that it, it's... Matt actually, uh, Matt's piece on, it was the last game, wasn't it? The Harris Rauf over, yeah, when he kind of ended on this note that, you know, sometimes, like, you, the chaos is is the beauty of it. And I, I actually wanted to ask Matt, it, it feels like, it's like a rite of passage, an, ini- an initiation that, like, all journalists from around the world have to kind of go through. They have to go and see one crazy Pakistan win somewhere just to like it rearranges the wiring in their brain for a little bit and, and the senses and stuff and so I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that game like I remember you were chatting on the group of course like you know as, as to like what kind of line to take as it was getting towards the end but it, it's impossible right because those kind of finishes they, they like completely scramble your brain and and what you're thinking about a game and, and what you need to think about then it was a it was an incredible game I think that the obviously the you know one of the highlights was the, the the death is the stuff that stands out so you know Harris coming back and closing out a win from from nowhere really I think England needed nine off 12 and lost whatever it was maybe even less than that. five off nine five off nine with three. lost three wickets for one run which was a leg by um but yeah no it was um it, it I, that was an, an obvious highlight but I also loved actually the the 
close the sort of the final five overs or so of the Pakistan innings, where obviously you sort of see this debate play out on Twitter and in press conferences and that sort of thing about Pakistan's approach with the bat and how the top order is too cautious and how the middle order are either too inconsistent or deserve more time and all this stuff. And, you know, I think everyone in Pakistan seems to have a different opinion on it. To sort of see the see the Twitter debate or the debate around the team play out in real time in a crowd in a stadium where you had, you know, it's actually a pretty incredible moment. Sharma Sood getting out LBW and the crowd cheering, then suddenly booing when they saw that it was Kushtal Shah coming in instead of Asif Ali. It was just completely incredible, especially because of the fact that Asif seems to split opinion so much. And some people think he's overrated. Some people think he's brilliant. Some people fall in between. Um, and you had this entire crowd sort of begging for him to come in, which was, you know, it was quite an incredible atmosphere to watch. And, um, you know, it was yeah, it was a pretty sort of hostile atmosphere for, for three or four minutes, um, especially just as wickets were falling. And then Asif, I think, hit two of his three balls for six. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty incredible atmosphere. And then I, I would actually say, it, just in terms of the point you were making on conditions and stuff in the PSL, I think that game probably showed how how tricky it can be, despite the fact that players have played here, because that was a sort of a very, I think that pitch in particular was low bounce and skidding through. So like there was a ball that um, I think Hasnain bowled Will Jacks with one that probably pitched eight meters from the stumps, like way short of a length, but hit the top of off stump. Um, and that is, you know, Jax has played a couple of games in the PSL, but that's that's pretty hard to adjust to. And then also just having Harris at the end, you know, reversing the old ball, at, as I said earlier, 155Ks. I think that, you know, no matter how much you play in the PSL or in these conditions, the actual, you know, doing it in international cricket against that in that sort of scenario with a game on the line, with 30,000 fans going wild every time Pakistan get a dot or a wicket, I think that, that yeah, showed that there is still a big... A difference between league cricket and international cricket. I noticed, I think, was it in the first match where uh, another like player collision happened? Nawaz like in the Asia and Cup. Babar, I think. Yeah, I think Nawaz and Babar, yeah. Like, yeah. there are certain things that don't change about Pakistan cricket, surprisingly. Either it's dolly catches or like really full of breathtaking stuff that Shan Masood direct throw, right? In the final, in the last match. Yeah, it was uh, his yeah. winning yeah. throw, yeah. Yeah, that was incredible. But then you also have dropping of dollies. Like, this, like it's. Oh, the ball before that, he'd missed. Uh, a throw from pretty much the same same spot, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was e- it, it was easier. It was easier. This was the, the, the second one was even harder because looking at one stump. Yeah. But I also so, like, think that's what that's kind of what happens when you have very talented athletes who obviously don't appear to um, be told to focus on this particular aspect of the game as much as they should because it's easy to forget now. But for 18 months, Pakistan under Steve Ricks in Pakistan were one of the best fielding sides in the world. The transformation was amazing. Um, not just in T20 cricket, but all in, in all three formats. And then um, I, when he was let go in somewhat unclear, controversial circumstances, um, Pakistan's feeling just immediately dropped right back off the cliff. And one of the things I spoke to him at that time, and one of the things I remember he said was, I'm terrified that this is going to happen because the thing with these boys is they need to be pushed every single day. You, um, if, you've, if you've taught them certain fielding drills, if you've taught, taught them about fitness, um, a week later, if you haven't really drilled that same lesson back into them, you might see them falling back into their old habits. So they just need someone constantly on their case. And I think without that, you could see their feeling standards drop. And yeah, I mean, that's pretty much exactly what did happen. And um, now it, that 18 months or so almost feels like a fever dream because looking at this side and <laughs> the way they almost collide into each other, the way um, they miss easy chances, the way they're inconsistent, um, it seems like that era might, might as well never happen. 
One thing I would say is that one um, of my one of the touring press pack on this tour is a photographer who said that the Karachi, the national stadium, the floodlights are um, very old school in terms of uh, the the brightness of the lights. So I think England did a lot of training on high catches in the build up to the series to try and sort of adjust their eyes to it. But even then, you know, Hales has dropped two bad catches during the series. Milan's had a drop. There's been a few catches that have gone down from fielders who are sort of, you know, Hales has never been the best, but um, from fairly solid fielders, I would say. So I'm, I'd, I'd, I'm willing to give some sort of rope to these guys and say that there should be some level of mitigation. I, I, I don't think with, with Pakistan... Like, they, they did fall off a cliff, I think, after Rickson left, but they've been okay. They've not been awful. Like, they, you know, there's certainly more... Like, I, I, I take the low bar as the Pakistan side in the, at the 2016 T20 World Cup, led by Afridi, and they had Mohammed Irfan at point. You know, that, that is like, I, that is like, you cannot get any low... And, you know, that, that was when there was, like, a heavy Umar Akmal in the field, that's when Ahmed Shazad used to like dive a lot, but inevitably miss. He was like the Imam al-Haq of that time. And I think from that, from that side, they have generally come up. I think guys like Shadab and Fakhar, you know, Fakhar had a horrible game at the Asia Cup, of course, against Sri Lanka, but he is, you know, he, he's, he's very reliable on the boundary. Asif Ali is generally a reliable guy on the boundary. Nawaz, although Nawaz dropped a dolly the other day, the standard has gone up generally. They have been a bit below that standard. Uh, over the last, I would say, a couple of months. Um, but I, I think if you look at this side now, especially the white ball side, you look at guys like Babur, you look at somebody like Rizwan behind the wickets, uh, you look at Nawaz, you look at Fakhar, uh, you look at some other boundary fielders, I, I think they are still at a level above any other Pakistan side has been probably in history, I think. You know, that, that 2018 side that Daniel referenced was, you know, a really, really good side. There's a couple of phenomenal pieces of fielding Fakhar Zaman run out against Australia. I was yeah. looking at it yesterday, actually. It was kind of backhanded flick on the dive. You know, that, that was the peak. But I think this side, overall, I would still say that they are pretty much the most athletic side that Pakistan have had uh, on, on a field in, in any game, really. Yeah, and that's encouraging because that means, obviously, these, these guys are better athletes than the ones in 2016, where maybe the PSL and the Trinitarian of people have something to do with that as well. But yeah, that also means um, the encouraging thing is they have any proper fielding coach who comes in has a solid base to work with. And so it's it's not as if the road back to where they might have been in 2018 is just uh, a long, long one. Uh, it might be you get you get someone like Darren Perry you know, or any other decent fielding coach. You might find that this side, you in this side, he has the personnel, he has the players to transform the side into, once again, a very um, impressive deeper fielding view. Like, at least my observation is the fielding has improved vastly, but uh, misfields are comical. Like, they're more comical than before. So, which is why it gets, like, amplified a little more. Like, it's not been... Like, that's why they, they've been incredible fielders. They just need to present themselves better when they're committing a misfield. I think it's just that. Uh, the one in the Asia Cup was my favourite. The one where I think two people, one of them was Iftikhar. I think they collided on the boundary. And then Iftikhar, who had the ball in his hand, sort of just found it jerked out and it just flew over the rope and it was a six. And it should never have been a six anyway. So, that's the thing. I get your point about it being comical and also being on brand for Pakistan cricket. So, it's fun... Sometimes you look at that and say, oh, well, wow, old habits die hard. But yeah, I think generally, as Usman says, I, th I think they could turn the tide around fairly quickly.
speaking of old habits die hard i think osman will not want to talk about this because they've been discussing strike rates and anchors every single time i've come on babar azam and rizwan have really shut everybody up to to a certain extent because when it works it works and like you can't chase down a total of 200 by being in any other way i feel and they got chased down with no wickets lost everyone was applauding it at that point and the exact next game they lose horribly because england managed to get 10 what 10 runs more 20, 15 runs more Yeah, in 20 runs. 20, yeah, 20 runs more. Yeah. This is exactly what was missing in the previous game, right? The bowling was tight enough on a flattest pitch where uh, 200 was chaseable, whereas 215 was... The, like, the interesting thing about the Barber is one debate is that it, it didn't used to be mainstream. And so when it wasn't mainstream, it was just like a bunch of data nerds sitting around talking about, <laughs> oh, like going off. you know their, their power play strike rate so poor and like Rizwan's first 10 ball records is like is really bad and stuff. it's uh, so like the bigger it's become and this year like through the asia cup it's become a really big like national you know to the, to the extent that mohammed wasim bless him pakistan selector has been talking about like data and, and strike rates and stuff at, and in his press conferences i think as it's become bigger as always happens like the nuance has been lost in the debate and so you know now people are like oh you you need to get rid of one of babar or rizwan which is not necessarily the case and they say oh they they really crap whenever they feel they're not the good thing has always been that they are excellent chasers if you want to chase down a total right now in the world there are very few opening combinations that you would rather have with the crease than babar and rizwan it's literally as simple as that when you're setting a target okay you know they're they're not the best opening pair out there when you're setting a target when you're batting first but i i don't think it it's a question that you you necessarily break them up or you dump one of them i i don't think you can dump either of them really and breaking up is still fraught with you know other difficulties i think it is down to both of them themselves to kind of recognize the issues that they have when they're batting first and certainly somebody like babar i think rehan rehanul haq who you know has worked with islamabad united for a while he's kind of an analyst and uh, talks on strategy and stuff i think he he's made a couple of really good points about the fact that you know i think babar clearly is a gifted enough player to to go harder when when batting first and to show that more you know a little bit more intent or whatever and i think and matt will probably remember this but i think it was maybe the 2020 blast season where he opened with with banton in somerset yeah uh, and, and that and you know that that season i distinctly remember babar's strike rates starting off in innings were much higher even batting first were much higher than they had been of course quality of attacks and where you're playing makes a difference but so babar has you know he's gifted enough to be able to do it whereas rizwan i think is more of a limited player but he strains at his absolute max level every time so you know with with rizwan it, it's not a question of intent because i think he is genuinely trying to go harder every time he's out there whereas with babar i think maybe he he allows rizwan to go harder much more often whereas he can actually take advantage when they're batting first a bit more because he's just got the game for it you know and, and there's been plenty of examples so yeah i i think bottom line is that the bigger the debate has gotten the less nuanced it has gotten which is which is bad you know because now you have like saklain criticizing and players coming out and defending like rizwan and babar like shaheen afridi put up a really sarky tweet about <laughs> oh we should sack them both because they're so bad ha 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 the day after their 200 stand it's not going to age well it 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 didn't age well after one match well, exactly but you know <laughs> the whole point is that it's not that simple a debate the debate is yeah. about them setting a target which is you know maybe a broader debate about t20 cricket anyway but i i just feel like it it's lost quite a lot of nuance as the main, as the as the debate and and that's actually i i think what it's done as as it happens with professional athletes you kind of you you buckle down and you 
you just you, you get embedded in your stance even more. So you know, Barber even more must now think that I don't need to do anything else. Whereas maybe batting first, maybe you do want to see a bit more intent from you know from Barber, uh, especially Barber. I would say uh, when Pakistan are batting first. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to add to that was I think there's also an element of um, just looking at England and almost lusting after what they have because now you have this um, you have an explosion of T20 cricket around the world that's easier to watch than it ever was before. So Pakistanis obviously watch teams in the CPL, in the IPL as well, um, in the BBL. They watch these teams have these amazing power hitters right from the, right, right from the start. This They watch in international cricket, England, who, who right now don't have Josh Butler, Liam Livingston, Ben Stokes, Jason Roy's been dropped, none of these players, and they still have this amazing repository of power hitters that enables them to go hard from over 1 to over 20. And they look at them and say, why can't we do that? And the thing is, you have to be able to, to some extent, play with the personnel you've got. Maybe, I, I do think Barber and Rizwan might play slightly differently if they were opening for an England side and knew what they had to follow um, after after they got out. They, they can't do that because for all of the values of this middle order, they're not quite as reliable and they will have more off days than... Um, than obviously an England middle order side. So in that sense, I think they are playing slightly unselfishly as well because they take on all the criticism that otherwise the middle order might have got. Because otherwise, if you get rid of one of Barber or Rizwan or Gordon Bulls and you go with the England style approach, that would last two or three games before a couple of heavy defeats, maybe at the World Cup, and then fans would be baying for Barber and Rizwan to come back. And right now, obviously, Ramiz Raja likes to give the fans what they want, so they come back in a heartbeat as well. But that, that, that's that's the whole point. You see this debate play out every game because whoever wins that debate is whoever uh, is is it depends on how that last game went. So after the second game, I think the middle order data nerds won that debate. After the third game, Babur and Rizwan fans won that debate. So it just continues to play out because there's no good answer. Because obviously your argument is only as good as how well the last game went. And I've toyed with the idea of maybe sending, uh, having Pakistan send Fakhar Zaman up uh, when Pakistan backed first, but, but you don't want to break them up when chasing. But then obviously that's, there, there are huge issues around that as well. Babur or Rizwan might not want to drop point. And what do you do if Fakhar survives the first six overs? You can't send Rizwan in then because, or Babur in then because Pakistan strike rate slow down after six overs anyway. So it's not like there's an easy, perfect solution waiting waiting to be found. It's just that you want to do more with your resources because you see what England can do and the ceiling that England can reach is just one that maybe Babur and Rizwan and this Pakistan side can't reach, but one that Pakistan always aspire to, which is in itself not a bad place to be in, but you have to be cognizant of the resources that you're operating with. And that's one of the key essences of a good T20 side. Yeah, and it's interesting as well that you said you use the word ceiling there and I think that the other the flip side of Pakistan's approach is that the floor is so much higher than England's. Like England do quite often get bowled out really cheaply. Um, like in the summer, they had a couple of innings where you know lose early wickets when they're chasing a big score and never got anywhere near South Africa and India. Um, whereas Pakistan, you know, I don't think the fourth T Twenty so Sunday night was how they would have ideally set up that innings. If you you know asked them to do it again, I'm sure they would have made a few different decisions. But they still got up to 160 on a pitch that wasn't that easy. Um, and because of the fact that they have a really strong bowling attack, which means that they are sort of, you know, slightly 
it, it basically if you're a strong bowling team then it makes more sense to to be looking to get past score and backing your attack to defend it whereas England are a weaker bowling team I would say I think England's full strength bowling attack is weaker than Pakistan's full strength bowling attack so it makes more sense for them to sort of try and win get win games with the bat whereas Pakistan are sort of you know avoid losing games with the bat but win the games with the ball so I don't know I think as as you know both you guys have said it's all about player pool resources, that sort of thing. And it, it's not as simple as, you know, I, I, as you guys have said, I don't think anyone was ever saying, drop Baba, he's a terrible batter or anything like that. I think it's always been, can they go a little bit harder when they're batting first, especially in that sort of post-power play phase where they quite often slow down against the spinners. Um, but, you know, e- even if they don't, the, the results over a four, five, six-year period in T20 cricket for Pakistan have been pretty good. Um and if your, you know, if your, if your results, if they can avoid having a blowout defeat in the World Cup, um, which sort of their strategy sort of lends itself to, that could be a massive. That could be the difference between getting through and not. Because you look at the last tournament um, in the UAE last year, and you obviously had, um, you had one group where South Africa won four games and lost one, but because of the fact they um, didn't win any games big enough, but also lost uh, to Australia, that they, they ended up in a in a phase where they got knocked out on that run rate whereas if Pakistan can sort of avoid any heavy defeats and can sneak through I don't know it's uh you know obviously there's 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 a lot of uncertainty in a short tournament but you can see how it um how that sort of consistency is appealing in a, in a short tournament where one defeat one heavy defeat can completely kill you like I, I want to talk about England that way uh, like under Moeen Ali this team has surprisingly looked better than they did under Josh Butler he, he put out a statement I think in the uh, last game or I think in the build up to this one saying that uh, uh, like we were just losing badly in the first like uh, in, against India and against South Africa and here at least have competed in every single game and uh, like we have lost playing good cricket and it like I'd rather lose playing good cricket than uh, fall behind badly in the match like just to paraphrase what he said and uh, I, I feel that they do look better they do look a lot more solid but it's also like this is not going to be the side that's going to go to uh, Australia right like there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be chopped and changed and Stokes is going to come back I don't know how he's going to fit into this but uh, yeah like how are England looking right now com- com- compared to say even at the end of the white ball South Africa series well, they they look like a shambles at some points during the summer. I think they, the you know the the level of the injury crisis among fast bowlers should be shouldn't be you know overlooked. I think their the bowling attack throughout the summer was really really poor, and even though it you know it often seemed like it was the batters that weren't firing, but they were often chasing. You know, I think there was one game where they were chasing two hundred and five at Cardiff against South Africa, which is an absolutely enormous score at Cardiff, where quite often it's like a one forty, one fifty, one sixty type ground. Um, so I, I felt that was a, a major factor in the summer. Obviously, some of the fast bowlers are coming back. I think we'll, we'll see Chris Wokes at some point in Lahore. Uh, Mark Wood looked really good when he returned in, in Karachi and sort of bowled, bowled like the wind. Um, in terms of how the, how the squad sort of fits together in the World Cup, I, I think um, what England have done in the series quite well is generally try to keep the players who will play in the World Cup team in similar roles to the ones they'll have. So... Uh, ben Duckett, for example, has been batting at number four and is basically subbing for Ben Stokes, who's going to bat there in the World Cup. Um, obviously, they're different players. Duckett sweeps a lot again and reverse sweeps against spin, but they're both left-handed batters at number four. And what that's done is kept Harry Brook in a role that he'll probably play in the World Cup. Um, seems impossible now, given how how well he's played in this series, that they can leave him out of the team in the first game. Um, and then Moeen Ali, rather than the floating role that we saw him have in the last World Cup, realistically 
with uh, the, the squad that England are taking to Australia, he's probably going to be one of England's finishers. So he's he's been coming in at six, um, rather than you know doing the easy thing, which is to shuffle up the order. Um, personally, yeah, I think um, I I think England are looking all right. I think the the World Cup is pretty open as I see it. Um, I think that as I said, the nature of the tournament. You know, I think Australia last year got absolutely pummeled by England in their third game and then won four in a row to win the competition. So I think you basically, I think there's probably about five or six teams that are capable of um, winning the tournament in Australia. And I think England are one of them, but I think a lot of things will have to go right. Um, they need to work out exactly what the, the best combination is with the ball because they have, um, you know, Wokes and Wood in particular haven't played a lot of T20 cricket over the past few years, but are clearly talented. And it's how much do they sort of trust their skill sets um, versus how much they go on recent form of someone like Reese Topley who's had a really good summer but probably doesn't have the sort of um, the history of performance behind him that someone like Mark Wood or Chris Wokes does um, but I think yeah I think they'll be pretty pleased with how the series has gone in, in terms of you know they, they won the first game and it was a pretty complete performance I think the second game they were a bit toothless with, with the ball but with the bat you know got a, a score that I, I still think even though it got chased down was probably 10, 15 above par on um, a wicket that wasn't completely, it wasn't a complete road. Um, then a, another dominant win in the third game and in the fourth um, did pretty well to get as close as they did from, from what were they, 14 for three after two or three overs. So um, I think they'll be pretty pleased with how it's gone. There's there's no major sort of fresh injury concerns. Richard Gleeson, who's a uh, reserve for the World Cup, there was a bit of a scare that he might go home, but he's actually apparently um, recovered pretty well and might play at some point. Um, and yeah, then it's just a question of, um, for example, Liam Livingston fitting him in, Chris Jordan will come back into the side and how Stokes fits into the T20, T20 team, having pay, played very little of it over the past um, 18 months. But I think England will be, yeah, as I say, pleased with how this series has gone so far. Um, but obviously conditions will be pretty different in a week's time when they, they rock up in Australia to start um, sort of uh, ramping up towards the World Cup. It, a lot of it's just how they're going to fit in everyone into their best 11, right? They're not going to have the best 11 every game, of course, it might, it might change. But how do you, like Stokes, now Harry Brook is in there, uh, and the bowlers with Wood and Wokes coming back, hopefully on the store and, and, and having run. It, it's a question of how they just fit everyone in. I think basically, I think the big question heading into the series, well, England have the luxury of having a lot of flexibility because of they have, the fact they have bowling options in the top seven now and quite a few of them. Um, but I think the big question heading into the series was probably whether um, Brooke would start as the finisher uh, or you, you'd have Sam Curran as an extra all-rounder. And I think Brooke has clearly won that. So as I see it, the team heading into the World Cup is going to be, I think Butler will, will keep wicket despite the fact there's sort of been question marks about workload there and he didn't keep in the 100 when he was fit. Um, but I think with Bairstow out through injury, I think it's I, I think it's a stretch to say that Phil Salt will play ahead of Hales just to keep. Uh, I don't think he adds enough value with his keeping. So I think it'll be Butler and Hales, uh, Milan at three, Stokes at four, uh, then Brooke, Livingston and Moeen in some order, uh, batting down to seven, which is a pretty strong batting lineup. But with Livingston, Livingston, Moeen and uh, Stokes sort of combining for the fifth bowlers overs. Uh, and then F Rashid will play as the frontline spinner. And then you have three seamers out of everyone who's left. So Wokes, Wood, uh, Jordan, Topley, 
uh, Sam Curran. Is it any wonder that Pakistan look at these England guys and then think we'd like to play like that? Is it, is, is <laughs> it any wonder even India does the same thing? Like, yeah, Matt, I just wanted to. I had a question around this. I know that the red and white ball sides are now as distinct for England as they perhaps ever were. But is it a coincidence that the summer the Test cricket is back? that they win six out of seven tests, the white ball side's form suddenly begins to veer off a cliff again. <laughs> He's asking so, whether baseball should be brought to T20. <laughs> that's that's yeah, well, the underlying question. I, I think there's, there's probably something to it in that obviously test cricket sort of when Rob Key came in, he made quite clear that that was the short-term priority and I think they've obviously, you know, certain players have missed some white ball series during the summer and I think as much as anything, they're just the state, the sides have been at different stages. So... There's been a sort of natural evolution over the past probably three years now since the 2019 World Cup win. Um, you know, there's a new. If you look at all the circumstances that sort of conspired to um, bring Alex Hales back into the fold, you had a new captain, a new coach, um, a new managing director. The backroom staff are relatively different from a few years ago, and while it's it, it's not been a sort of uh, a hard reset in the way that you had in 2015, there has still been a bit of gradual change over those years. Um, and it, it it did definitely feel in the summer um, sort of it, I I think it was it, probably unavoidable that you'd have a bit of a stage of transition. The schedule was pretty busy, all that stuff, but there was a bit of a post Morgan hangover um, where England were just sort of finding their feet again. Um, but I think you know it, it'll be really interesting to see how they go in the World Cup because you know if they if they reach even the semi finals, I think that's probably the the minimum expectation is to reach the semis. But from that point. You know, if you're if you're reaching the semi-finals, and I think they're expecting to reach the semi-finals, that suggests they're a sort of top-tier uh, white ball team at the moment. And then I suppose the big the big question for the Test side will be how they how they travel this winter with um, you know three tests in Pakistan and then two tests in New Zealand, which are going to be uh, both in their own way is going to be very different challenges from from conditions in England this summer, which by and large were pretty helpful for well for the first four tests of the summer were very very batter friendly, and then suddenly became you know seen bowlers paradise against South Africa and. August and September. Yeah, so like I would like to wrap this up by just asking for uh, predictions, not about how the series will go, but about what do you think would happen? What's going to be the defining moment of this series? Like, like I feel someone like a uh, Shadab Khan will run out like a Moin Ali at the non-strikers end to win the match. So <laughs> that would be that would be but amazing that, if that it has the bar. Would, yeah, that has the bar. That is a very high bar you set. More realistically, Usman, Usman Khadr is going to be expensive in one game and that's going to make the difference because he just, for some reason, continues to play even though he, in the fourth game, he neither batted nor bowled. Even if that was injury-related, even if it wasn't, I'd respect Babu for the strategy because it was a solid one. Uh, Usman Khadr is like, his, his ceiling and his floor are amazing and the fact that you can witness him across <laughs> two balls is just absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah. They've picked him for that, for that entertainment value. No, I mean, what's going to happen... I just want, like, I, you know, given that we're going seven games, what I want is just the final game to be a decider. Um, you know, it, it does, of course, it doesn't have to be, and I, I don't think it'll make the series any worse if it wasn't, but it would be really amazing to have a seventh game decider at a full Gaddafi stadium with, like, you know, th- with Mark Wood facing off against Harris Rauf, both going, like, 155, 160. It would just be, like, yeah, that would be the way to, fi- to, to finish the series would, would be amazing. During the Karachi leg, I, I I don't know whether this is a sort of 
uh, a difference between the English and Pakistani media, but I don't think the English media takes much sort of interest in whether England win or lose. I think quite often they prefer England losing because it makes better copy. Whereas I think you know local journalists were sort of co- congratulating and commiserating the English media after after results. But throughout the whole thing, I said all I all I want is to be going to Lahore at two all because I think the series needs it. So fingers crossed, we'll get a decider. And I think also the the other point on that is that. Josh Butler's obviously sort of been managing his his return from uh, from his injury, and I think uh, I can definitely see a scenario in which he doesn't play at all on this tour. But I think the most likely scenario where he does play is if it's three all heading into a decider, and I think it would be great, especially as you know he's he's not someone who's played in the PSL before. I think uh, the impression I get, you know, he's been using all the marketing material, and it feels like Pakistan is sort of. You know, the idea of having Joss play here is is quite a big thing, at least for for a certain number of cricket fans. So I think it would be great if he uh, came out to bat uh, in the final final game with the series on the line. Um, and it would probably be even better if one of Pakistan's hundred and forty plus guys cleaned him up first ball. <laughs> a brief stay for Joss Butler at the crease today. <laughs> okay, so I think that's. Uh, as good a uh, note as any to end uh, this episode uh, join us again next week and uh, who knows maybe we will be discussing the end of the series and uh, what it means for the T20 World Cup so uh, until next time we'll see you guys around